0: I'm Brianne Bennis and this is No End In Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. So first I want to do that self-promotional thing again and tell you that I have a new piece up on Medium called It's Okay to Rest. It's about rest, obviously, and how this podcast has helped me realize that getting a lot of rest is one of the most effective, if sometimes frustrating, ways for me to manage my symptoms. If you're interested, you can find it by heading to my Medium profile at medium.com slash at bennisb. And yes, the at sign is necessary. And of course, here's a quick reminder that I have a Patreon campaign now, which is a really simple way for listeners to support the show financially on a monthly basis. So if you've been enjoying the show and you also have a couple bucks to spare, I'd be so, so grateful if you'd sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash noendinsight. This week, I'm talking to Emma about depression, anxiety, and borderline personality disorder, along with hypothyroidism, autoimmunity, and pursuing an ME diagnosis. And I want to add a content note to this episode to let you know that Emma, Emma mentions suicide and suicidal ideation twice, very briefly. Both mentions are in passing while she's making another point, and neither involve any detail. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. Well, I like to start by asking people, how was your health as a kid? Um,
1: That's a good question. <laughs> um, I was actually born... Um, it's, it's not that early, but I was born three weeks early because my mother had blood poisoning. Okay. So I didn't get, oh, and I was also born with the cord around my neck. So I didn't actually get the best start to life.
0: Yeah. That's uh, some serious (laughs) Um,
1: stuff. I was fine, but, um, I developed childhood asthma because in New Zealand, as you can tell with my accent, Mm -hmm. um, it is extremely common, um, because our housing is just shit. So um, I've had I had asthma right throughout as a child, right up till now. Um, but it wasn't until I started hitting around 12. Um, I had a lot of uh, mental stuff start to kick in, like my father had left my mother when I was about 10. Mm-hmm. So I distinctly remember around about when winter was coming into... Spring, that period of time, which for New Zealand is reversed for Americans. Right, um, right. Winter into spring. So that's
0: like now?
1: uh, Yeah, November, (laughs) December ish. Um, I noticed, or October really, um, I noticed I would get sick a lot. Um, I was just always sick. And of course, my school would have events at this time of the year. So I'd always miss the events. And then, so I was, I mean, I was a really healthy kid. I was running around like mad. I was, um, I was just, you know, so active. And then I turned 16 and I don't recall when it happened, but I got mono. Okay. And then that became myelogic encephalomyelitis. I'm Mm -hmm. learning to say it. So um, that that was the start of my health crisis slash journey.
0: Sure. <laughs> and I... from
1: that point on, <clears throat> um, my autoimmune disease kicked in because obviously with ME, it is a um, – your immune system doesn't turn off. So it's like the shit just hit the fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so – yeah, and I've just been dealing with that up until now. It's like, it's just, it feels like there's one problem after another.
0: <laughs> and so, yeah, that's understandable. So so you were 16 and you got mono. And was there like a, I'm gonna do it like a hand gesture. Like, was there like a crescendo to that? Or did you kind of just get sick and then stay at that exact level of s- sick? Um. So I got sick. And I wasn't doing
1: great for a, a few months, but I seemed to be okay.
0: And were you in but school then, at that point?
1: Yeah, um, in New Zealand we call that college, so that'd be high school for America. Mm-hmm. Um, we, so yeah, um, around about the end of the year, um, I started to notice that thinking-wise and and mentally, I felt just not right. Um, I could feel like my brain slowing down. Um, And it really sort of reached a peak in the next year. You know, this is my final year of school. These are the big exams you've got to do. Um, I was falling asleep in class Mm -hmm. in my favorite class, even. Um, I, I love history. So I was falling asleep in my history classes and it was, I couldn't fight it. I would just doze off. Just, just, I would sleep as much as I could, but just, nope, doze off. So it was definitely a a sort of plummet as time went on. And that's still been a continued trend now. I'm I'm 26, so Mm -hmm. I've had ME for 10 years at this point. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I I have not been back at the point I was
0: when I was 16 Mm -hmm. since. So it was kind of like a steady, I'm, like, declined to that level of health, and then you stayed there. And so, yep. did you finish school? <sighs> Barely. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: um, I wanted to drop out, but my mother... Uh, threatened me with being kicked out of the house and I was 17 with generalized anxiety disorder so I had an absolute panic attack about that Mm -hmm. and I stayed in school I was silly and I did two art papers um, or art classes, so I was doing photography and fashion design and those are quite heavy class loads and I was falling asleep in my classes And, um, yeah, I passed the year with, uh, we use uh, credits, like uh, it's called NCEA and you get a credit or you've got a certain amount you can get from a a class or whatever. I passed with one credit to spare Mm. because in my history exam, I decided to um, bullshit an essay about Elizabeth uh, the first, the great, I, yeah, (laughs) Emmy brain. Um, yeah. Elizabeth Rex, Yeah. I, I, I did an essay on her. Um, I completely just on the spot. (laughs) Gotta love my selective memory. Um, so I'm quite thankful I did that. I had not planned on doing it, but I saw the question. I was like, Oh yeah. All right. I'll do it. Thank. Thankfully I did. (laughs) Yeah. Um, because without that, I wouldn't have got, um, university entrance
0: mm-hmm. like,
1: and that would have made things a lot harder.
0: Yeah. Um, and so I want to just backtrack for a sec cause you mentioned uh, generalized anxiety disorder. And so did you have a diagnosis for that at that time? I No, I did not
1: get any, I got diagnosed with, uh, depression and generalized anxiety disorder at the same time. And I was 19. Okay. Uh, wait, no, I was 18. Um. And when I was 23 or 24, I actually got a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder.
0: Okay. Okay. So we'll, we'll track through to that. Um,
1: (laughs) They all tie into each other. So I, they're all, they're hard to pull apart or they don't pull apart, right? Yeah. (laughs) They don't No.
0: Yeah. But so, so at 16 when you or at 16 or 17, when you want to drop out, there's nothing like in your medical file that would kind of explain a choice like that because of how everything works
1: my my mother had been like because i was this ties into the bpd Mm -hmm. um i was an incredibly violent child okay um or teenager um i was quick to anger i would have the typical bpd rage um my family is a huge trigger Mm -hmm. um which sucks to say but um that is the reality Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was really difficult for me um as a teenager because
0: um
1: sorry I've completely forgotten the question
0: no no that's okay I mean I was asking yeah had at the time so at 16 and 17 as school's getting even harder and there's nothing in your like medical file at this time really right Uh, so yeah
1: Um, my mother had dragged me to the doctor and I had blood tests done because she didn't exactly want to entertain the idea that I also had depression. Mm -hmm. I, I, I do. Yeah. (laughs) I think I've had depression since I was 10. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had blood tests done and to this day, I do not know the results of that blood test. I don't know if that picked up on anything. I don't know. Um, if that picked up on any changes whatsoever in my body Mm -hmm. because, you know, getting, getting information out out of doctors, is kind of like squeezing blood from a stone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It depends like what is kind of available by default. Right. mm, Especially if you're under 18.
1: I struggled so hard right up until I was 19 and, um, uh, there's something else on the, uh, like uh, on the tip of my brain that I want to say and I can't, (laughs)
0: I know it's so frustrating I'm having really bad bad brain fog today (laughs) yeah that Um, happens all the time is what I'll say (laughs)
1: yeah because she was like oh you know oh it's totally your hormones that are causing all this all these problems and it's like no it wasn't Mm -hmm. um I was yes I remember now I was chronically suicidal from you know 15 and then it just increased in intensity until I was about 17 Mm -hmm. 18 19 it just got so bad I was just ill I was incredibly ill
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and so all of that was happening at the same time that you got mono and like yeah yeah in in the middle of all of this okay and then you finished college and that and then did you go to university from there
1: um I did I actually went to polytech okay um I'd originally wanted to do costume design and in New Zealand, your options are quite limited when it comes to um, any sort of costuming, whether or not it's stage or TV shows slash movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd actually applied to Toi Whakare, which is sort of New Zealand's leading um, acting costume stage stuff. Skill. Like performance um,
0: arts, everything a that's lot in that of, family.
1: Yes. Very, very, very much so. A lot of New Zealand's sort of best or well-known actors come through uh, that skill. So I had applied to them and um, I nearly got in. <laughs> um, I think I made it to the top 12 when they were taking eight people that year. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, basically they said, well, you're 17, so you don't necessarily have the life experience. So all I can say is I'm actually incredibly thankful I was not accepted, which is a double-edged sword because I still really love costuming mm-hmm. and and sort of creativity is a huge part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And so that sucked.
0: Mm-hmm. But I
1: had a backup plan, plan, so I actually went into network engineering. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. Complete polar opposites. But I am very good with computers, um, very good with um, setting up networks um, mm-hmm. that is great fun for me,
0: um, sort of all the configuration and, and stuff. <clears throat> and so were you um, in that program, since you mentioned it sounds like you got kind of three diagnoses all at once when you were 19, did you say?
1: No, I only got two when I was 19. Okay, two when um, you were 19. That would be the depression and the anxiety. So I started antidepressants,
0: mm-hmm. and but was there any- they weren't really the problem. <laughs> And was there any acknowledgement of the M.E. at that time? So you had had mono? No, okay.
1: I had gone to my doctor around about the same time. This was my childhood doctor. Mm -hmm. I'd been with him for 19 years. And I said, I'm falling asleep in class. I feel so tired. I can't concentrate. I'm forgetting my words. Sometimes it feels like I'm drunk. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I don't feel right and he looks at me and, I mean, you can tell, but no one else can tell. I am a bigger person. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the time I was actually a lot smaller, but he turns to me and says, oh, you have sleep apnea. Okay. Fact. I have never not stopped stopped breathing in my sleep.
0: Mm-hmm. Which Even is now as a bigger
1: person. The definition
0: I... of sleep apnea yeah. Yeah.
1: If anyone has sleep apnea, it is my partner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ask me how I know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Um. But so. Uh, yes. Yeah, so not helpful. Sounds like.
1: I started off my um journey with um, dealing with everything because at nineteen that was the point where I was like something's not right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start dealing with this. That was the first major hit of what's the word? Um, Invalidation
0: Mm -hmm.
1: from a medical professional
0: Mm -hmm. that
1: I had ever experienced.
0: Yeah.
1: I I had actually gone to him and I had said, I think I have chronic fatigue syndrome Mm -hmm. and nope. You have sleep apnea because you're fat.
0: Yeah. No tests. Like
1: no, no, no. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) I did not finish my degree. Okay. I have half a degree in network engineering. <laughs> okay. Um, I dropped out at nineteen.
0: And I. And you said they started you on an antidepressant at that time. Yeah. Like around um, the same time, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, because I had basically broken down to my mother and said, "I want to kill myself." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got dragged out to the doctor.
0: Mm-hmm. As you do. Know, so that's when I got those two first diagnoses. Okay, and and you were saying, because I, I think I interrupted you, but it sounds like the antidepressant did not help, or if it helped, it didn't help everything because there was other stuff going on. Yeah. It
1: kept me stable for its time,
0: okay. but
1: um, I've ended up on four different antidepressants.
0: <laughs> like trying one after the other? Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, I was on like citalopram, and then escitalopram, and then Prozac. And now I'm
0: on venlafaxine. Okay. And I know it's kind of impossible to pull all of this stuff out from each other, right? But do you... Okay. What did it help with, I guess, is the question that I have. Like, how did that fit into your larger health? Thing? Honestly,
1: I, I don't even know. I was dealing with so much stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I was chronically still suicidal right up until um things sort of reached the peak where i was going to lose my relationship Mm -hmm. and i decided i have to do something because things are just wrong everything is wrong i can't do this anymore Mm -hmm. so by that point i was already on the second antidepressant okay (laughs) they they really did nothing for me um Right, again, I have BPD, so uh,
0: right, and the treatment d- for that didn't know is, yet, is actually like. what
1: made the biggest difference? Yeah, for me.
0: And I want to get to that. Um, but after so you left school, were you able to work? No, no, yeah, because that's all so hard. I mean, obviously.
1: I was threatened with my school. I was threatened with being expelled or or something happening. Mm -hmm. I, it's, this happened in 2012, so this is quite a long time ago, but something was happening and I literally like pulled up, um, you know, whatever text communication thing we were using at the time and messaged my partner, like I'm dropping out. I can't do this anymore. I am just, I want to cry. I am so stressed and upset
0: and I just can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I
1: literally quit that day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was um, not. It was a bad situation. It sounds like for my your intention overall.
1: was to go back to school. Okay, but that's part of the whole me, sort of realization that has sort of led me to today. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kept trying to get better to go back to work, but it just it never happened.
0: Right, right. That and that's ugh, that's so mixed into everything. Okay, so that was at nineteen. Excuse me, and I think you said you were twenty four. When you got the BPD diagnosis. So yeah,
1: I was about 23, 24.
0: Okay, so there were a couple years there where you were trying, it sounds like like trying a couple drugs that were not helping and what else was going on? Like what were you up to?
1: Well, this is where I bring this in. So um, at the I spent um, from August 2012, right through 2013 and into early 2014 actually housebound my anxiety. Was so intense. I couldn't leave the house. Um, my partner had to go with me to the doctor. He had to actually hold my hand because mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't
0: do it. I was a wreck, and um, and how did that? So I just feel like, what are the what because. I guess the way, the reason that I ask, so I understand that it's probably like impossible to answer that question. But the reason that I ask is when there's a couple of different things going on and you are sure that like this one is anxiety as opposed to this one is fatigue. Like what does that distinction feel like?
1: Um, well, I mean, fatigue is, is for me, it's, it's like my body has been encased in lead. Every single bit of my body aches. It's like you can't get relief from that ache and you just feel so heavy and you just want to curl up in a ball and cry or fall asleep or sometimes, you know, um, I just, I just sleep. (laughs) Yeah. You just sleep for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. Um, It's
0: like a very physical feeling.
1: I mean, I definitely had the fatigue during that, that time in my life, Mm -hmm. but from what I had been told, and and sort of the 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 messages I was being sent is oh, it's a mental health
0: issue. Sure, which is always out there, and even if, even when both are happening, like, yep, yeah. So
1: I ended up um, asking my doctor. I had switched doctors by this point because like the whole sleep apnea incident fucked me off.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> incredibly. Um, So I found a doctor that was closer to me and had good reviews and blah, blah, blah. And I had actually asked for a a referral to the community mental health services here, which let me preface with a horrible, (laughs) understaffed, underfunded. The wait times are ridiculous. Like you're waiting six, 12 months to see a psychiatrist.
0: And I realize I don't know much about your healthcare system. So do you pay for any of your healthcare or is it all covered or is there an in-between?
1: It depends. Um, Doctors are subsidized. Um, We pay full price for dental care, for mental health care. If you go through the public system, it's free, but it comes with the very, very long wait times. Right. These days I see a private psychologist Um, fortunately not very cheap, but she has been great. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: So at this time you're waiting, it's this long wait list. Um, and this is for the public service basically, or for the, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Okay. So that's (laughs) where we are. New doctor and then going in for mental health care waiting, which, uh, why is it like that to navigate healthcare? I wish I had an answer. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So
1: they put me through, um, a CBT group. Mm-hmm. And I found that really helped with my anxiety. Okay. But I said to them, I am still struggling. Mm-hmm. So I got put into DBT, okay. which is the best, one of the best treatments for BPD. But at the time, I did not have my BPD diagnosis. So right. in the entire group, I was the only one who did not have a diagnosis of BPD or bipolar. The irony. <laughs> um, so I'd done that and I found that really helpful.
0: And but, what, what, how does that therapy work? Because I'm more familiar with CBT because I think it... DBT has a lot of focus on your emotions. Okay. Um, rather
1: than sort of critically and analyzing your emotions, with DBT you are looking at your emotions, you are validating the emotions. Um, the, a huge component is mindfulness mm-hmm. and meditation, um, uh, which ties into like wise mind. So it's like, you've got your emotional mind and your logical mind and you need to find the balance. Um, it changed my life, honestly.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I'm so glad I got to do it. Even though the course was incredibly short, it, it, it saved my life really.
0: Yeah. And, and so was that part of it? Cause you had said things were like really getting to a tipping point with you needing to kind of figure out what's going on and to take action. And was that a part of it? The DBT?
1: Yep. It helped lessen my depression, but I still didn't feel right. So I finally got to see a psychiatrist and he took one look at me and he's like, here, go do these bloods. So we did the bloods and then I came back a month later and I got diagnosed with hypothyroidism.
0: Okay. As far as
1: I know, it is not autoimmune, which is very surprising. I suspect it might be. but. My thyroid just stopped working, so they decided that obviously this was – because after I had started meds, which is a whole other fucking drama, um, (laughs) after I'd started my meds, I'd started to feel better. So, like,
0: okay, we can discharge you now. (laughs) Shouldn't have done that. Um, And was that just like like a Synthroid or something, like a thyroid medication?
1: Here's the drama of that. (laughs) Okay. Um, So – my psychiatrist, psychologist, yeah, psychiatrist, um, recommended that I change doctor, so I did. Mm-hmm. So I went and saw this doctor that's designed uh, to be, you know, sort of subsidized for people under 26, because I was, oh God, math, 22 or so. Um, and so I went there. And the doctor was like, yeah, your tests, your results are low, but I don't think they're low enough. Mm -hmm. I'll ask an endocrinologist. Well, we had to deal with all that drama. And the endocrinologist comes back and says, no, no meds. So I'd actually been wanting to switch birth control at that time. So the doctor tells me that I'm being denied thyroid medication right before I have a marina inserted okay so i'm laying there in in pain and in mental pain because you know i just been incredibly invalidated yeah so i ended up doing my own research because i was like look this is ridiculous my results are very low like i am showing incredible symptoms Mm -hmm. um because we had assumed that all my problems were because of my
0: thyroid Right. And, and that's like the symptoms of hypothyroid are like sluggishness, fatigue, all of those things. Like, for yep. some people, that's really what's going on.
1: Yep. Um, so, my partner and I were at the point where we were, we were looking to import meds from overseas because it was bad. I was not functioning as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did my research, I found a group. Um, called tansy um in new zealand and essentially they're a facebook community of people with hypothyroidism and they actually talk a lot about um holistic doctors Mm -hmm. um because they are more inclined to believe you yeah Um, and
0: they use like functional lab ranges which is a kind of a narrower what they would call like a healthy And they take into account
1: your symptoms. They don't just look at the sheet of paper with your numbers. They actually examine what is going on with your entire body. So I went and I saw the intake doctor of this this holistic doctor. And he says to me, oh, are you on any medication? And I said, no. And he's like, what? I was like, no, I'm not on any meds at all. He's like, you're not on T4 at all? And I'm like, no. He's like, okay, don't worry. We'll put you on meds. And I was (laughs) like... I was ready to cry. I was yeah. so happy. Yeah. Um, so eventually I did start. Um, it's It goes by many names. Essentially, it's pig thyroid. Mm-hmm. That also saved my life.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you started it, it sounds like you noticed a difference.
1: Yep. But it didn't completely make me feel better. It didn't relieve the fatigue. I still had issues that weren't being explained with my meds and I've been on you know my thyroid meds for a long time now
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: I'm still dealing with this incredible fatigue and all the other ME symptoms Mm -hmm. Um, so you know I just you know chugged along with life Um, I picked up a few autoimmune diagnoses along the way which is a funny story because um I found out I have hydrogenitis superotiva and um, that was a self-diagnosis.
0: Okay. And (laughs) tell me what that is.
1: Oh boy. It's disgusting. (laughs) I mean, you're not a disgusting person for having it, but what it does to your body, it's not nice. Essentially, some people call them boils. I personally call them cysts because I feel like they act more like a cyst. Essentially, in my case, unfortunately, I have them from top to bottom. A lot of people just get them in the armpits, um, under um, ch- chest, if you have a, a, a chest, um, stomach, under the stomach area, if you are a larger person, the groin, the buttocks. So, like places um, where on the skin meets of the legs. skin. It sounds like yeah,
0: like yeah, wherever that's happening on anybody, <laughs> yeah.
1: Whereas in my case, I get them everywhere. Okay. <laughs> my face, my neck, my ears. Mm-hmm. I, I get them inside my ears. Um, and are they uncomfortable? Are they, Is it like... They, oh, they are painful. Yeah. Okay. Um, my partner has gotten very good at helping me with them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do lance them because it's... I just I don't want to deal with the pain <laughs> yeah but I eventually ended up in um, hospital because there was one that we couldn't deal with ourselves so I ended up seeing a surgeon and I told him this is what it was and he's like how do you know what that is you're like I'm, I'm like just... um I l- looked it up online I've been dealing with this a while he's like wow didn't
0: so, he even And he did say anything he confirmed
1: the diagnosis for me he hey you he didn't for say me. anything like, about the internet like, <laughs> I know they. they, they oh boy, do doctors hate self-diagnosis. Yeah, which is actually funny because um, my BPD diagnosis was actually a self-diagnosis, and mm-hmm. then I saw my current psychologist,
0: and after a few months, she confirmed it. So, mm-hmm. so you're you have a like good track record of accuracy. It sounds like.
1: Yes, my M.E. is mm-hmm. actually at the moment a self-diagnosis,
0: mm-hmm. and that's. <laughs> We can, we'll talk more about it, like everything around yeah. ME diagnostics, but yeah, because that's complicated. Um, oh, boy. Yes, we will get there. Um, okay, and so you were saying autoimmune, plural. So was there anything else that started? So you're having yes, thyroid, I started, the skin.
1: Um, I started having pain during sex. And eventually I just got sick of it. So I went and saw the doctor and they're like, oh, we can't really explain this pain that's going on for you. Eventually we kind of came to the conclusion I have muscle spasms. Um, But in that sort of process, we ended up um, diagnosing me with lichen sclerosis. Mm -hmm. It is where the skin of the genitals is thin and patchy and prone to tearing. So any sort of sexual interaction can cause like micro tears in the skin mm-hmm. and they'll heal and those create scar tissue and then they'll tear again so it can be incredibly painful mm-hmm. so we go through a lot of lube <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, lube is so great and so important oh my god yeah and everyone um, should
0: be just using more lube just use more lube oh, god, yes everyone yeah but especially, um, it should not be painful. Something's going on. Yeah. Yeah, painful sexes don't suffer with
1: that. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, since that time, we've actually worked out, I have seborrheic dermatitis on my scalp. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I have the mental spoons to deal with it, I'm hoping to get a referral to a dermatologist, um, because all the specialists you see in New Zealand, you kind of end up going through the hospital system. Okay. So hope maybe something they can do for it because it's – my head is so itchy all the time.
0: Mm. <laughs> I
1: use cold tar shampoo to help, and it's the only thing that's really helped for me so far. But mm-hmm. <sighs> what else is wrong with my skin? <laughs> My skin seems to have been the place that's really picked up all the autoimmune disease, which is very annoying.
0: Yeah, it's like all of the miscellaneous ways that inflammation can happen, or whatever it is. Yep. It's, yeah. Skin yeah, especially
1: stuff. HS because it's um, they don't know if it's autoimmune or auto-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> any any sort of inflammation, just yeah. <laughs> yeah all happening. What
0: else? Um, yeah. If there's anything else... I think that's it for skin. I think that's out it for autoimmune right now. Okay. So there's that cluster of stuff. So then, so you mentioned, uh, for you recognized BPD first. And how did that happen?
1: Because um, I had started to feel relief from the hypothyroidism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It meant that sort of other symptoms could be more prominent.
0: Yeah. Like and you didn't noticed... even notice... <laughs>
1: I noticed my emotional stability was quite all over the place. And I noticed my interpersonal relationships weren't always the best. Um, I had um, a suicide attempt, I think, a year or two before I actually got my diagnosis. Um, (laughs) I'm such a nerd. I play World of Warcraft um, in my my guild at the time. (laughs) Um, I ended up losing a bunch of friends for a bullshit reason and I was so distressed that I mean it was uh, even calling it an attempt is kind of dumb but um, oh silly Um, and I ended up on a mood stabilizer which helped a lot with the BPD but I don't know, I always had this niggling feeling that something was still off. Like, I knew I was more than just depressed or anxious. It was like, I just knew there was something more. And I had a friend at the time who had BBD. Mm -hmm. And I noticed my symptoms were very similar to theirs. Mm -hmm. So I did some research and I was like, ah, borderline. You're
0: like, this sounds familiar.
1: It clicked. like at the time I met sort of eight of the nine symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, So eventually um, I tried to get back into the mental health system. I said, you know, I want to explore this more. And they told me, no, you're fine. Essentially, if you're not suicidal, they don't take you. Okay. And of course I was very stable. So they're like, no, you're fine.
0: Mm -hmm. And that was, for you, stable also was, like, after this new prescription happened? Yeah. Yeah. So you're like, well, kind of, but also... Mm. So
1: after that, I was like, nope, I'm seeing my psychologist. And at one point, she'd asked me, like, oh, why do labels matter?
0: And I had a breakdown for, like, three months. (laughs) Oh, Did she mean that about diagnoses? Like, getting this diagnosis over... Okay. Okay. And that... Was hard. Yep,
1: that absolutely set me off for three months. Um, eventually, I talked to her about it, and she r- rips out her DSM V five or whatever, and and we look through it, and she's like, she lists out the symptoms, and I'm like, we're talking about it, and she's like,
0: yeah, you've got BPD. <laughs> she's like, it applies actually. Okay, was that validating?
1: Yes, incredibly. I walked out of the appointment so fucking happy. I was like, it explains everything mentally with me it explains my childhood um explains my trauma it, it explains in my teenage years it explains all my failed relationships and failed friendships and
0: mm-hmm.
1: everything I've done right up until this moment it explains everything
0: and and so with borderline just to like kind of contextualize it because I feel like I haven't talked about it that much on the show like some of what you're talking about is kind of part of what defines it, right? Like it can be kind of defined by the way that it impacts your relationships or, and it also does it have, um, it has correlation at least with like childhood trauma, I believe, whatever that might mean.
1: There is correlation. There's no strict scientific, right. They can't say for certain because there's a lot of people who don't go through trauma, right? Like for myself, My trauma was emotional Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, rather than physical, Mm -hmm. mostly. Um, So essentially what it is is that in, like, the UK, they've actually renamed it Unstable, um, well, Emotionally Unstable Personality Disorder. Okay. Does that feel better? Because borderline... No, yeah. even borderline feels wrong, because the yeah. whole point of, you know, you know when they were, came up with this disorder in the 90, 80s, um, they were like, well, it's sort of on the borderline of, you know, saneness and uh, insanity. So um, that, that's, they decided to name it, and it doesn't actually communicate
0: what the problem is with it is right. Um, yeah. It sounds very menacing, but not in a meaningful way. And there's
1: a lot of stigma to it, mm-hmm. which isn't exactly valid or um, correct. Actually. Um, like that's not to invalidate people who have experienced abuse or mm-hmm. trauma from someone who has BPD, but I feel like, generally people tend to paint us all with the same sort of paintbrush Mm -hmm. like oh this person is toxic that must mean all of you are toxic it's like no it doesn't work like that just like every every sort of mental illness um chronic illness it's a spectrum some -hmm. people are affected more Mm -hmm. i i could function mostly as a person Mm -hmm. um there's 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 sort of different subtypes of types of borderline you could be um a lot of us talk about sort of being a quiet borderline so um for me as i got older i tend i started to sort of withdraw into myself and i became very uh self-hating and um rather than taking up my rage on other people i took it out on myself mm mm-hmm. um yeah, so essentially it's it's entirely to do with how you process emotions and how you think about your emotions and your emotional reaction to situations. It's like having your, like, like you know, your car it's like having it dialed up to like 100. Mm-hmm. Emotions, are, they hit you so intense and so hard. And a lot of suicide attempts by people with BPD are, During times of extreme emotional distress,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, which sort of ties into the people having the stigma of us being attention seekers and crying wolf because, you know, within hours we could be fine.
0: Right, right. But that doesn't mean it wasn't real.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. When you're in that moment of distress, it is so intense and you just want it to stop. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to me when I had lost that large friend group Mm -hmm. um, because I felt like my life was over. Mm -hmm. So the mood stabilizer changed everything for me because it finally – like while the ME slows my brain down, the BPD makes my brain incredibly fast, especially Mm -hmm. with the emotional stuff, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) Um, The mood stabilizers meant that my – emotional stuff slowed down mm-hmm. so I could finally start to put the things I had learnt with my DBT into a stronger course of action
0: mm. I like... tend
1: to sit out my emotions now I, I try not to react like I had done previously um, mm-hmm my coping techniques are so much better now. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So so, that's sort of BPD for me. Yeah, and so did anything, because you already had taken the DBT course and you had started the Mood Stabilizer before you saw the psychologist. So, I mean, therapy is therapy, Um, but what, like, did you find that also having the psychologist give you that diagnosis did that change things as well? I think, in the general sense, it was also just
1: a validation. Um, yeah.
0: Which is huge by my, itself, of course.
1: Yeah. My psychologist is amazing. She's never doubted me. She does agree that I have ME. She, um, she's very understanding. I mean, she's old. She's she's in her sixties. Or 50s or something but it's like even though she doesn't really understand what wow is she puts the effort in to listen to me yeah and I feel like I've, I lucked out um because she's my first psychologist right which isn't you know for some people they go through 10 yeah. um but we clicked and she's incredibly validating mm-hmm. that's one of the you know the biggest things about her right is that she doesn't judge me she's never
0: judged me Hmm. yeah and that's a huge gift like you say I've for some reason on my alumni network recently people were sharing therapy horror stories of like therapists that they left and the reasons and it's like these things that we think should be a baseline for anyone practicing in any of these spaces like being validating like not a given at all (laughs) I saw a
1: therapist when I actually first got my depression diagnosis and I left after
0: two sessions she Mm -hmm. gave me a couple of handouts yeah you're like this isn't there's no value here
1: at the time because I just met my partner I'd actually met him online through a, a local dating site and I mentioned this to this therapist, and she's like, "Oh, you can't trust people on that website." So it has been a long-running joke since then. And my partner and I have been together for seven years.
0: Mm-hmm. So he's
1: actually been with me throughout this entire period of figuring out my health.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which is so huge. So it's just been a continuous joke. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's
0: <laughs> like people <laughs> meet on creepy old, old man on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's like a such a weird stigma to still have in this modern era um, It really is yeah okay so so I know all of that stuff is still of course going on like it's an active process of living with and managing. So let's talk more about the Emmy So oh boy <laughs> yeah <laughs> another fun thing. So at what point for you did you start to think like, there's another box here like because it sounds like the way that you've been looking at this is like you're pulling apart some pieces of like oh these things were hypothyroid and these things were mental health and these things were autoimmune but like there's still something else going on
1: um after we sort of reach the maximum dose of thyroid meds that my current doctor is happy for me to be on Mm-hmm. He thinks that any more is actually going to swing me into hyperthyroidism and we don't really want that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it just my fatigue was never explained, and it's it's to the point where I can't work. Yeah. Um, and even study I struggle with. Um. So I just been doing sort of my own. Introspection and in trying to work out my life path, and I actually managed to be well enough that I actually got back into the gym,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is a big problem mm-hmm. because I crashed. Mm-hmm. Um, that was to end of two thousand seventeen, and I'm still dealing with it today, yeah. um, and which sucks because I loved my personal trainer so much. <laughs>
0: yeah, and so we're kind he's, a, of-
1: he's also a member. Of um, the LGBT community as well, um, mm-hmm. so we always had a good gossip and
0: yeah, uh, it's like nice social time too.
1: Exactly,
0: he ah. he's he's a doll, he really is. And um, what level yeah. of exercise were you doing, or like how long? How long until <laughs> Pem came for you, basically? Mm. Um. I had been working out
1: for maybe nearly a year.
0: Which is a long time. Yeah. But energy envelopes are weird. I think
1: we had been increasing slowly um, Mm -hmm. because I actually had a hernia. I had, um, it it wasn't an organ hernia. It was just some fat that had come through my um, stomach muscles. Mm -hmm. So I knew I needed to get back into exercise because I had spent, what, years just not very active and mm-hmm. that sort of led to my muscles deteriorating so we were like all right I'll get back into the gym you know get some um fitness back up so we were dealing with that and then it's like I went through some emotional stress mm-hmm. and that helped trigger the the PEMs. Yeah, So yeah they do
0: not play well together no,
1: <laughs> which sucks because I, I really enjoyed the gym. It was I ne- I did I never tried to over push myself because I knew I would have a long time of of needing to rest afterwards. But it hadn't. I had done my research on ME, but it wasn't a serious thought for me until I had that crash. After I had that crash and I did some research, I was like this is what's happened to me. I have literally had that, you, you know, um, that, 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 that crash. It just, it just set something off within me. And I was like, there is, there is something up. It's not just because I'm fat. It's not just because my thyroid's, butt, uh, you know, messed up. It's, it's, there's something more to it. So I really started to look into it. And I was like, this explains everything mm-hmm. with my physical health. It just – it made sense. Yeah. So, yep. I just tried to do the best I can sort of since then, just sort of recovery and taking it easy and not stressing myself out. And then Mm -hmm. um, a few months ago, I actually went to my doctor and I said, I want us to – because I talked to him about ME before in the past. and I said to him, look, I want to seriously investigate this because he had said to me that he – didn't really see the point in going through the diagnostic funhouse. Yeah. <laughs> um, because there isn't a cure at the end. There isn't a, a necessarily a working treatment. He didn't see really the point in doing that. But it's... I went to him and I said, if anything happens to my partner, if... He dies or if we break up, I need to have a medical proof of my disability in order to receive any sort of assistance from the government Mm -hmm. because otherwise they are going to force me into the job seekers program and I can't work. Yeah. There's no way how I can work. Um, so he's like, all right, we'll, we'll start doing that. And I, because I had said to him, look, I also want to access disability services. I would like possibly to have a wheelchair um, so I can actually attend social events and not end up on the floor in pain afterwards.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, like I want a shower chair because I have, um, as a result of everything, I have dysautomnia. Mm-hmm. Um. So you know, I struggle with showering. I don't shower in hot water anymore because I feel like I'm going to faint, and pass out, and, and puke, and my heart just feels like it's in my throat. It's awful. Yeah. And and I said to him, look, I, I know there's no cure, but this is a this is a validation. This is evidence. This is. It mean it, it's also. It means I've been doing something with my life for the past seven years. Yeah. And not just bumming off my boyfriend or bumming off the government. Right. Like I say I've been been disabled. Mm -hmm. I've been doing the best I can. So as a result of that, I've been tasked with keeping a daily log of my life and my abilities and what I get up to and, you know, how much exercise I do. Mm Mm-hmm what chores did I do? I have not started it because even just dealing with the mental processing and the spoons of it, I'm
0: just like, no. Somebody, (laughs) somebody sent me, gosh, I was like, I was doing some symptom tracking earlier this year, um, in like January, February, I think in the, in the, our late winter. Um, and I had posted about it, I think, on Instagram, and somebody had responded and sent me their system for tracking their symptoms, and it was amazing. It was like they used like one of those graph notebooks, and they had like color coding for how they were doing each day and all their symptoms and all their activity, and it was so incredible, but it was also like so cognitively intensive, you know? <laughs> Because that's the thing, right? Of like, sure, keeping a symptom journal or keeping a journal in general about how you're doing and your activity and all that stuff. It makes sense. Of course it makes sense. But doing it and doing it in a way that's meaningful, like requires a ton of like forethought and adjustments and analysis. And even then you can end up with something where like, can we really even compare what you wrote on these two days? Because if you just are like, Exactly. Tired. My life.
1: Tired. <laughs> I do housework. I do my hobbies. Sometimes I will cook dinner. We've actually changed how we eat so that it's easier for my partner to cook. And it's a lot of food that doesn't involve prep. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like we have bag salad. Um, some sort of protein, sometimes we have garlic bread. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is, that is our our normal dinner at yeah. this point. Yeah. And it works for us because we're both picky eaters. Yeah. Oh, I have an eating disorder on top of everything. So it's <laughs> fun. Um, yeah. My days today is, is so consistent. It's like, okay, shower every four to five days. And, and and the housework just varies. Um, okay, today I did no housework. But then it's like the next day, okay, I did the trash. I cleaned up our dining t- room table. I did dishes. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the time is spent engaging in more social and more brain-stimulating stuff. Um, like I said, I play WoW. I am active in phantom communities. Um, I am sort of popular in specific fandoms for content creation, like GIFs on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk to my friends a lot. Yeah. <laughs> All that stuff I enjoy so much more. And it's like every two weeks, occasionally, I see my psychologist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is it. Yeah. Um, my life is so boring and so consistent. Even in its inconsistency, it's consistent. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So it just feels pointless to keep an activity diary because it's the same. (laughs) I could just write out one day and be like, all right, that's just a general day to day of my
0: life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is how it goes. (sighs) Yeah. And I
1: have to do it because in order – he wants – my doctor wants to send me off to someone um, else to – uh, someone who's more specialized not necessarily a specialist but someone who's knows more about it mm-hmm. than him but i he, i have to give proof that he should see me right yeah so i
0: have to do this slog and it's like i don't want to <laughs> yeah yeah it's one more thing when i even like, just for like my um formal pots diagnosis which feels unnecessary for a whole bunch of reasons but I had to do um, a take-home halter. So like the EKG, you have all the things, you wear it. It was for two days for me. Um, But in order to like see if it's connected to POTS or not, you have to like write down what you're doing every time you feel symptomatic. So like every time you oh, feel gosh. like your heart rate has gone up, write write down what you were doing, and it was like standing up. Yeah, and this was just to qualify for the tilt table test. So it was like I saw a cardiologist. He had me do this halter monitor with the journal in order to get referred to another cardiologist, an electrophysiologist, in order to get the tilt table test, which then
1: Ridiculous. only gives
0: you the POTS diagnosis. And it was like I already know. I don't like this. Isn't going to tell us anything. It's, and what I'm writing down is literally like got up to get a glass of water because I know I did it and my heart rate went up to 135 or like one of the two days I sat at my like sat at the computer for the afternoon. So I knew my heart rate was higher and it just feels so artificial. It's like, yes, it we're, does.
1: It really does.
0: Yeah. We're really monitoring something. But like I'm just writing this down so that you have this document of something that I've already told you because I already know this is happening. It's like they don't want to believe you unless you have proof. Yeah, but the proof is still just based on believing you. That's what's so strange about Mm -hmm. it. Like No one's Mm -hmm. here watching me to see if what I write down is true. And it it was true. I'm not lying. But I wasn't lying before either. And that's why it's so weird.
1: Yeah. Exactly. I just, I do not want to do this diary at all. But in order to advance the process of getting this goddamn diagnosis, I have to do it. Yeah. Which means I get to go through all the fun stuff of having my thyroid checked again and right. being tested for everything under the sun.
0: Yeah, because you have to – it's an elimination diagnosis still. So you still yep. have to eliminate everything that might include fatigue, which, like, I guess – Which I I
1: feel like I'm going to be told, oh, have you tried losing weight?
0: Yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> which
1: I'll be like, my dietician has banned me from losing weight, but okay –
0: Yeah, it's not that. Um, That does bring me to a related question, though, of, like, different people cope with all of this stuff differently, obviously. Have you gotten into any of the, like, lifestyle experiment stuff? Like, anything that it could be, like, changing your diet a lot or... Oh, God, yes. You know, like whatever it is, whatever the internet tells you that you should try if you're experiencing fatigue, basically, it's a long list.
1: Well, I refuse to do yoga. Fair. (laughs) Um, But we did actually work out that um, somehow I've become intolerant of gluten. Mm -hmm. So um, I try to be gluten free Mm -hmm. as much as I can, barring garlic bread my body can fight me on that one. Um, yeah. Um, what else have I done? I mean, I'm on a holistic medication. Sure. Um, sure. I do a lot, a lot of the DBT mindfulness stuff because I use that stuff to cope with my chronic illnesses as well. Mm-hmm. It's um, overall helpful
0: for you, it sounds like.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I've tried various things all throughout the years, but
0: nothing that really stands out or stuck. It sounds like, which is pretty normal, I think. Like, they're like phases <laughs> of experimenting. The only real sort of
1: thing, the it, it's more the social side, the more mental side of it, rather than any sort of physical. Um, stuff it's been more about recognizing my limits and self-care and self-compassion yeah Is a huge one
0: yeah
1: um and it's only been in this last year that I've actually said I'm disabled
0: mm-hmm.
1: I battled with my own internalized ableism for years and I mean I still do now um like I've said to my partner before, you know, I experience severe anxiety when I have to be on public transport if I'm sitting down, because I know if I get asked to stand up and I stand up, I am going to possibly hurt myself. Yeah. Not not in a self-harming, deliberate way, but I might actually faint. I don't know. Yeah, it's not safe. And Which sort of leads me into the whole, you know, getting this diagnosis and... And all that can actually give me available um, ways into getting a wheelchair. So I can go to social events and participate in society more. Because right now I don't. Right. Um, Like uh, a close friend of mine who I've known since school got married. And um, so we were there from... We got on the bus to go to the venue at one o'clock and by 9pm, while everyone is up dancing and they're having a great time and all that, I was laying on the floor in the reception hall on my phone, trying not to overheat. Yeah. (laughs) I was in severe pain because if I sit down for too long, I'm in pain. If I stand up for too long, I'm in pain. If I lay down for too long, I'm in pain. Yeah. So I'd been sitting for hours at that point. So I was on the floor in pain. I was just waiting to get on the bus home. And I just – I couldn't enjoy the his wedding right. as much as I should have been able to. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> <sighs> so that sucked. So, so I, I, I found, you know – Sort of accepting. Radic- Another thing with DBT is um that I really love is radical acceptance. Mm-hmm. It is accepting a situation even if you can't change it, even if you don't want to accept it. It, it it's like a re I accept this reality. So for me, I radically accepted the fact I'm disabled, and that's that's how it is, and I wish I wasn't, but this is it. This is my life. Um, and so from here on, I am going to do whatever I can to, um, accommodate for myself. I'm going to be self-compassionate. I'm going to care for myself. Um, I will fight when I can for myself. Um, and I can, com- I will communicate to others the situation, um,
0: yeah (laughs) yeah I think that's all sounds really powerful like it's a huge shift like you say and internalized ableism is real it's really real and there's a difference between (laughs) yeah and there's a difference between acceptance like you're saying it doesn't accepting something doesn't mean that you want things to be that way yeah yeah and I think like that that's a bigger kind of like cultural misconception that I think we also like tend to take on. And I know, I mean, I've had this experience in my own life, like trying to explain that nuance to people that I'm close to of like, I've accepted this. That doesn't mean that I'm like giving up on my life. It's not the same thing. It just means that like, I can't spend every minute of every day and every dollar and all of that fighting all the time. I just... It's not, mm-hmm. I'm not getting anywhere. It's exhausting. It's expensive. It's why am I doing this?
1: It's also bettering your life mm-hmm. because you can now put the energy that you are put into, that you're putting into fighting it, into working with it. Yeah. Like at the moment I'm actually wearing um, a scarf developed by a company that's got an ice pack in it. Mm-hmm. Because I overheat, um, as a result of my dysautonomia. Um God, I wish I was one of those people that could be like cold all the time. But no. Oh, that's not me, me. by the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can I, I have your pals? socks? You're wearing a cooled scarf and I'm wearing heated socks. Like
1: <laughs> Yeah, they just came out with one that goes across your head, it's for migraines. Mm-hmm. I'm using it for cooling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and my partner and I have just invested a lot of money into getting an air conditioning unit, which is mm-hmm. not common in New Zealand at all. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I pray to it every day. I'm like, thank you for existing Yeah. <laughs> puts on icy cold
0: blast. Yeah. Um,
1: so all that's kind of stuff is, is me working with my disability. Right. Um, it's, it's me accepting and just going, yep, I need this to live comfortably. Yeah, we eat bagged better. salads, mm-hmm. and I know there are people out there who will absolutely fucking hate me because I do. Right. Because plastic. Oh, you're you're going through so much plastic. It's like if I didn't eat bagged salads, which I adore, I would not eat any vegetables at all because right. I do not have the energy yeah. to prepare food constantly, um, when I tried to, I would have vegetables just mold on me right. and go off Yeah, because I couldn't cook them in time. Yeah. And Whereas having a bagged salad is so convenient and it works for me Yeah, and my partner with us being picky eaters, um, we've really picked up a routine that works for us and it's like, yeah, okay. It's not the most environmentally conscious thing,
0: but I'm disabled. And I'll also say, like, I agree with you on its own. And I will also say that, like, I don't. I mean, I'm sure this is different regionally, like region by region. But most people's produce isn't all grown locally. So actually, most Mm. produce has a huge environmental impact just because of like refrigeration and shipping. And so, like, consume buying produce that constantly goes bad in your fridge isn't like carbon neutral, you know, like there is a ton of like actual environmental impact in every choice that we make, which is what makes it impossible to navigate. I'm like, not at all putting a value judgment on it, but like, it's not more environmentally friendly to buy a a whole bunch of plastic free vegetables that you're not able to eat. Like it doesn't actually work that way. So I don't think it matters i think it would like what you're saying would still be true even if this weren't the case but it just like Mm. all of the arguments about around plastic and so if like if there's no plastic then it's fine it's like it's so much more complicated than that and these arguments are exhausting like we shouldn't even have to have these arguments but i know that we do and i know that people show up on twitter all the time about it
1: oh no the banana has been pre-peeled this is the worst thing to happen to humanity. Yeah, yeah, or the there's, orange. There's bigger things to be fighting for, like, you know, corporate greed and governments not putting their money where their mouths are in terms of greenhouse emissions and yeah. and all that kind of shit. That's yeah. the stuff that matters and is contributing to pollution so much more. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's totally off topic, but... For a New Zealander, I'm very rare because I actually like nuclear power because Mm -hmm. it is the greenest, most uh, energy efficient and cleanest method of energy production we have. Mm -hmm. But people have such a negative stigma about it that they'd rather burn coal than explore the huge the hugeness and the huge array of what nuclear power can offer us because nuclear power isn't just steam-fueled um, turbines from a reactor. There's also things like molten salt reactors and all that kind of system is completely different from things like Fukushima and Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. Like and Even all that stuff, that's very old, outdated technology, but because people have now developed a sphere of it, it means we're not developing safer and better systems for our future, and that's yeah. where... We're not looking forward to our future. Right.
0: Right. So, and it shows up in these And like, as a
1: disabled person, it is enraging.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of this stuff, just redirect your energy. Everyone, I agree. Plastic straws. <laughs> I know. That's the one, right? That's the one that shows up the Which most is funny right now.
1: Because I use a metal straw with a silicone tip on it. Yeah. I've seen and those. I, I'm very lucky to be able to do that. Yeah. Because I know there's, there's disabled people who can't. Right, but right. that's my a tiny small
0: contribute. Contrib- yeah, it's your trade off with the salad. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. I like exactly. <laughs> I use metal straws too, but it's like I don't. I have a partner who can clean them if I don't clean them. So,
1: exactly you know, huh?
0: There's a lot to it. Um, awesome. Is there anything about chronic illness and the whole world of chronic illness that's on your mind that we have not talked about somehow today?
1: Possibly the mental impact of it all. Yeah. Well, I think for me, you know, the reason why there was such a huge focus on the mental aspect of it was because a lot of, you know, chronic illness stuff does get blamed on mental illness. Mm -hmm. But it's almost, like I've I've talked to this with doctors before and my psychologist, but like it's almost as if, the medical profession treats the head and the body as two separate entities when really it is a whole. Like ME, it is a neuro, uh, it's not a mental illness. Right. It's an actual problem with my brain. My brain has inflammation. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So it does impact me mentally, but it impacts me physically. Right. Um, So to blame it all on mental illness or as a mental problem is, is really harmful because it is more than that.
0: Mm -hmm. And people get bad care because of this. I think,
1: I mean, yeah, just look at the UK. Um, I recently read, um, uh, I'm going to butcher the title, but the girl behind dark colored glasses or something. Yes. And I cried. Mm -hmm. Because as bad as I have it, the abuse she suffered, Mm -hmm. like, while I can relate to having the same condition and and while I'm thankful that I do not have the same severity, Mm -hmm. it was the abuse that just set me off because I know, God forbid, I crash even harder than what I have done. I could be in that situation. And it's just oh my god
0: (laughs) yeah yeah honestly
1: if if people have not read that book they should because it's it's so powerful
0: I will put a link in the show notes for that one because I haven't even thinking
1: about it makes me want to cry right now
0: (laughs) yeah yeah I haven't read it yet but I know the book that you're talking about yeah it's
1: you should read it it's so like it's it's amazing what she did to be able to write it. It's like
0: mm-hmm. you
1: can, your body can be absolutely destroyed, but as if you still have that spark,
0: mm-hmm. that
1: things can change, you mm-hmm. can get through it. Like you may not ever be
0: able to again, but you can still do it. Yeah, well, <laughs> if that so- makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think, like, sometimes we get so caught up in the the idea or the messaging that getting our health back or, like, becoming able again is the goal. And that doesn't have to be the goal, actually. Yeah, that's that's what I've sort of been yeah. working on with my own
1: acceptance of yeah. being disabled is that I might never be able again. And yeah. you know what? That's okay.
0: Yeah. And, like, and if that's true, then kind of what is the goal And, like, what are we working towards or whatever? I know these are kind of, like, lofty questions, but what you're saying a little bit. Great
1: questions, though. Yeah. but
0: But, like, a little bit of what I'm thinking of from what you're saying is, like, and I've talked about this with a lot of people now also, is it's, like, but that doesn't mean that we can't make some meaning for ourselves or find something that, like, find purpose or find something that means something to us. And it doesn't have to be. You know it i don't mean this in an inspiration porn way i don't mean you need to like go out there and overcome everything educate
1: the ables on how disabled people are people too yeah and how we're magical and people should listen to us it's like no we, we should be listened to irregardless but okay yeah
0: <laughs> yeah and there's that but it's just like if wherever you are like there are things that you can find joy in sometimes not but like you know we we get told so much that the only way that we can be happy is by getting better i think like sometimes even Mm -hmm. pretty explicitly and so part of the work too is like what can i do where i am right now and that's it like it's a real open question (laughs) but
1: yeah like even my own hobbies I've re- focused a lot of the energy I had into more creative things. Like I mm-hmm. said, I'm big into fandom. I like to content create. Um, mm-hmm. I also make soap, um, which is difficult, you know, given, given fatigue and all that. But I still have a lot of fun making soap. Yeah, <laughs> like I just made a soap inspired by the '80s, Great. because of American Horror Story, because yeah. I'm obsessed with that show. Yeah, <laughs> um, I made a soap for my favorite actor, and hopefully, I can actually send it to him. Um, <laughs> I need to bug him about it. I need I need an address. Um, so all that stuff has been amazing for me mentally, and mm-hmm. it's stimulating because. Even soap making, there's a lot of science that goes into it. And Mm -hmm. I'm always thinking about designs and things I can do and creativity. And there is a lot of
0: soap in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, soap is a useful thing. Which helps
1: because of my autoimmune conditions, actually. Um, Store-bought, mass-produced soap is actually really damaging for my skin. It's very drying. And so I switched to sort of artisanal soap, handmade soap. And because it's not got all the glycerin and, and stuff actually removed from the soap, it's, mm-hmm. that stuff ends up on my skin. Yeah. And my skin is like the best it's ever been. It likes that. That's, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a great thing to be able to tinker with, basically. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Bodies. What are they up to? God knows. <laughs> <laughs> um, amazing. Uh, I don't have any more questions if we've covered kind of like, I feel like we basically got caught up and got into some of the big stuff. Um, so thank you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me at not um, quite. <laughs> <laughs> this
1: is, it's so dumb for me to say, but like, uh, or, 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 silly or whatever. Um, it's great to be able to talk about chronic illness stuff because my partner is very over it. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want to talk about chronic illness stuff. And I'm just like, blah, 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 blah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I actually know being able like. to
1: talk about this stuff is just so huge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, just, I also love podcasts.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a bonus.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's it's just great to actually have a platform and just, just to be able to share stories and know you're not alone with any of the stuff and talk.
0: Yeah. 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 I'll, I agree wholeheartedly. It's like, it's really easy to let it, but it all starts to fester. Like when you're surrounded by people who don't really get it, even with partners, even with very supportive partners, they're just like in a listening role. It's totally different. Cause they don't have the yeah. same experience. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It took, it took him a long time to actually understand what I meant when it comes to my energy.
0: Yeah. I
1: love the spoon theory so much. It helps so much. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: a very helpful tool for sure. Cause it, that's what it's like. It's random a little bit, but you can see what's happening. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank yeah. you. I think that's everything. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you for listening to episode 57 of No End Insight. You can find Emma on Twitter at Impossible underscore. So I M P O S S U M B L E underscore. And on Instagram at Impossible, spelled the same way. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ben S.B. And of course, you can find the show on Instagram at No End Insight Pod with dots where the spaces should be. Forget that I have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self employed. It's quiet but growing, and you'll even find a few podcast guests in the group. And finally, this podcast is supported by my cross stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. Um, I'm, <laughs> I keep talking about my fall patterns but it's like covered in snow outside right now and then I forget to change it until I'm already talking so anyway just know that there are summer and fall patterns but also dozens of very simple icons that you can customize however you'd like I'd love it if you checked us out at digitalartisanal.com thanks for listening